numbers tail off. But I want you to keep coming because I'm going to preach a series that's really, really important for the life of our church. And then I said, what I'm going to say next Sunday you're not going to like. Right? How many people came here, at least in part, because I said, what I'm, what I'm going to say to you, you're not going to like? Let me see hands. Come on, be really honest. Yeah, yeah, a good number of you. Bunch of masochists, right? You know, hit me, hit me. I want to make a few preliminary comments about my comments uh, today, my sermon today. Um, I'm going to be touching on a lot of the, the hot button issues of our day, moral issues. Um, and I want to say this loudly and clearly, I and we are not here to condemn anybody or to judge anybody. That's really not, I mean, those issues are not really what the sermon's about, and you'll discover that as we go. Uh, but I recognize it, it could challenge people and even potentially offend. Um, can I ask you to, number one, understand the comments are coming with love and with grace and with a deep desire in my heart to communicate God's mind? Um, and with no judgment, none. Um, these sermons that I preach, I really do think are critical for the future of our church and of the church at large in society. Um, so yeah, no judgment. And, and can you remember too, this is one of three. I can't say it all. I'm, I'm going to start to say a lot this morning. But it's one of three sermons. There's more to come. It's like, you know, don't judge a book before you read the last chapter kind of thing. And, um, and lastly, can I just really, really ask you uh, from the bottom of my heart to be open not to what Chris Little has to say, but what God might have to say to you. Just be open. And this might challenge some of your thinking. I think it will. Um, that's what the Bible's for in many, many ways, as we'll discover. But uh, yeah, what, just listen and reflect and hear, not even just today, but hear what the Spirit of God may be saying to you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray that you would be with us now. God, our heart's desire is to know you and to know your mind and to live faithfully before you. Um, God, the church is in, a, in an odd place right now in terms of where society's at and all, all that's going on. And Lord, we just want to, uh, to know your mind and to do your will. And we would pray that as we journey through, the, through these sermons today that... Uh, that you would speak, that still small voice really making impact, bringing change where necessary, correction where necessary, that, Lord, we might align ourselves with you, with your thinking and with your heart. So God bless us now, and Holy Spirit, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you are really eager to hear what I have to say now? No, this is an important series, and... Um, I realized that, that when I said last Sunday um, that you're not going to like what I said, I should have qualified it. You know, might have gotten you here, and that's not a bad thing in the end. But there'll be some of you that will really like what I'm about to say. It will make sense to you. It'd be like motherhood and apple pie in the church. Like, you'll get it. And you'll go, preach it, brother, preach it. And then there'll be other people here, potentially, I think likely, they're going to struggle with some of the things that are spoken here today. Um, and again, um, that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes God has got to shake us a little bit to, to move us uh, forward. I want to tell you, if I w was going to preach um, sermons to make everybody happy, I probably wouldn't preach this one or the ones to come, particularly this one. This is setting the scene, right? It's the beginning. Um, if I wanted to preach in such a fashion so that hordes of people from our culture would come and, and uh, fill the, the chairs at IPC and become part of us quickly, 
I wouldn't preach this kind of sermon. But I have become absolutely convinced over some years now that this series needs preached. Absolutely convinced about it. So I hope you'll take that into account also as we go forward. Um, and it's critical for the future of our church. So what is this series about? I'm going to tell you in a boring way and then in a non-boring way. And we're going to focus on the non-boring way today. The series is essentially about your relationship with the Bible. That's it, Chris? <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and whether you and I, whether we as a church, will form our faith and our life based on what the Bible says. It's that simple. Now, the non-boring way of putting it is, is this. I'm going to ask how we as believers are dealing with all the issues that have arisen within the last couple of decades that we need to come to terms with. Have you thought about how dramatically the landscape has changed in terms of what this society believes is right and wrong? Um, euthanasia. What do you think? What does God think? You know, the idea of, of, of essentially taking someone's life, killing them to alleviate suffering at the end of their lives when they're going to die anyway. Um, the legalization of marijuana. What do you do with that? They're okay now that it's legal? You know, the sexual realm has just been like, whew. But one example of that is the transgender reality that is upon us. It's established in our society. Um, people thinking that, and this is not how it's now formed, that their gender, what they feel themselves to be internally, at times is opposite to what they are sexually, body parts. What do we as the followers of Jesus do with that? What do we think about that? Um, you know, the, the, the reality of homosexuality, again, dramatically and quickly accepted in our culture. You know, even, even going back a while, sex before marriage and, and abortion, you know, these are, these are not so much hot-button issues out there. But I'm telling you, if you challenge them, they become so. And then there are the questions that not only are present and past, but the ones that are coming toward us pretty quickly. Polyamory. Polyamorous marriage. People, well, more than two people being in marriage and that being an acceptable reality. What do we do with that? Um, academics in the United States right now advocating for the rightness, the goodness of pedophilia, sex with children. Don't know if you know that's going on, but it is. That's where a lot of the ideas come from, the academy. You know, this flood of ideas that are so different from the historic Christian perspective, that are so different with, from what was acceptable a generation ago, 20, 25 years. Like a dramatic shift has happened, and we are in the position of saying, okay, what do we do with these things? Here's my experience of Christian people. I'm talking about us now, followers of Jesus. Uh, a lot of people are confused just confused don't know quite what to do about some of these things in particular and then secondly that the world and its thinking has powerfully affected and impacted how Christ followers are dealing with these issues it's, it's dramatic um, and how we will deal with these things is cru crucial for the future of the church at large for the future of our church if we are to be faithful before God and know his blessing it's huge how we form our faith uh, will determine how we respond to these things. And quite frankly, it will form the, what Christianity is going forward. I would suggest there's a suggestion being given to us, even within the church at large, which is inviting a change to something other than what Christianity has been historically. That's a bold statement, but I believe it with all of my heart. 
Now, what I want to do to jump into these uh, things is talk about the different ways that we process these questions. So can you stick with me as I go through essentially what the sermon is today with a hopefully strong ending at the end? But how do we process these questions? For example, <clears throat> the legalization of marijuana. Someone came to me a while ago when, you know, when this obviously was going to uh, be legalized. Uh, and <clears throat> excuse me, the question that I was asked was, is it okay for us to smoke weed now that it's going to be legal in Canada to do so? What do you think? Right? Is it okay to smoke weed because it's legal? It's not illegal. We don't want to do what's illegal, but is it okay to go ahead? What I want to suggest to you is that there's an assumption in that question, and, and it is this. If something is legal, it is moral and acceptable. Now, quite frankly, when I heard that, I was a bit shocked I, when I heard the question and I understood the assumption. Let me ask you this question. Have there ever been laws created by human beings that are contrary to the law of God? Ever. How about all the time? <laughs> I hope I don't even have to give you an examples for those, but it's, it's, it's just throughout human history. And I was reading um, uh, the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago, and I thought, how did Daniel end up in the lion's den? Uh, he broke the law. He did what God told him to do versus the king in the day. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up in the fiery furnace? Well, they broke the law. <laughs> really clearly, they, they did what God called them to do. They were faithful to God in spite of what the law of the land said. Acts 5, verse 29 says this. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. I hope we can dismiss this one easily. We don't form our understanding of God's will for our lives based on what the law of the land is. Just don't go there. Because the two are not synonymous. They're not the same. Number two, how do we deal with these issues? Well, this is a big one. We, we make up our minds for, our, for our, our lives about what's right and wrong based on how we think. Now, that might sound a little obvious, but can I put it this way, that through our reasoning process, we believe we can come to an understanding of what's right. We hear about some things, and it just makes sense to us. Therefore, we embrace it. Now, as an example, let's talk about euthanasia. You know, a lot of people, and I think Christian people included, come to this issue, and they hear the arguments for euthanasia, and they kind of make sense. They're appealing to the mind, and sometimes even to the heart. You know... Why should people suffer when they don't have to in the latter days of their life? Uh, you know, they're going to pass away anyway. We're just going to make it easier for them. They, have a, they don't have a quality of life anymore. Then maybe this is the loving and right and good thing to do. And by the way, I know that probably all of these issues, multiple issues I'm going to bring up, need sermons or series on their own. So there's nothing exhaustive in what I'm saying about it, but... Um, you know, that can cause a person to say, well, okay, let's go with that because it makes sense to me. Um, what, about, what about the experience of, of, of apparently a lot of godly men? I'm going to dig in here. I'm going to be honest about a lot of stuff who leave their wives for another woman and they go through this logical process. I'm not happy in my marriage. God wants me happy. 
therefore I should leave my wife and uh, be with another woman because she makes me happy. That's what's going to make me happy, and God wants me happy. Can I ask you the question, where in the Bible does it say God wants us happy? probably not expecting me to wait for an answer, but I am because, you know, there's silence in response. The Bible does not give any priority to our happiness. God doesn't. Oh, he's really concerned that we would know joy in the midst of suffering. He would really be concerned that we would, that we would grow in our times of trial and difficulty and heartache. But the idea that God's one is happy is not a scriptural idea. It's just not there. See, we can reason things in our own minds in our own ways to bring us to a particular place and it's not necessarily what God thinks. I'll go back. I, I, I skipped over the brief discussion about euthanasia. You know what the Bible says, this idea of suffering at the end of life that we want to alleviate people from? You know what the Bible says about some suffering? It's redemptive. Something God uses profoundly to, to change us to impact our lives. And you know, even at the end of life, that can be a reality. And you know what? One of the most profound things I experience as a pastor is seeing people come to the end of their lives and yes, even in the midst of suffering, they die with dignity because they die as people of faith with a deep trust in God. It is a beautiful, remarkable thing to see. Euthanasia is not required for people to die with dignity just a couple of arguments. I want you to think about some of these things. I'm going to move beyond the discussion then of men leaving their wives because they're not happy. I want to, I want to dig in, not to pick on guys, but I'm going to. Now I'm going to talk about pornography. Big problem in the church. Big problem, in my opinion. <laughs> um, heard recently of a Christian uh, who used pornography and uh, when confronted about it, the, the, the response was, well, there's nothing wrong with pornography. It's natural. It's natural for a man to have, you know, sexual desires and so forth. And literally, because of the reasoning process that I just described to you, this person justified what he was doing. And again, what's the assumption behind such a statement? The assumption is that whatever is natural is good. I mean, think about that. Um, I want to suggest to you that there are a lot of things that are really natural to human beings that are a long way from good. Lust is natural, particularly for guys. Right, guys? <laughs> and if you're not nodding or putting up your hand, you're all a bunch of liars. There's this thing going on in guys. <laughs> it's there. And it, it's an easy thing to turn your sexual desire toward a, a woman other than your wife and to lust after her. What did Jesus say? He said, essentially, you know, to do that, to lust after another woman is, in his mind, the equivalent of committing adultery. It's unfaithfulness. It's natural. It's good. Lust is natural, but it's not good, according to Jesus. Uh, another thing I think, I mean, I could go on and on with this one, but uh, I, I can't think of anything more natural than revenge. Somebody hurts you or someone you love, what do you want to do? You want to hurt them. Is that godly, right, and good? No. <laughs> you know, it's just not. Uh, you know, the idea um, that, that something is natural, therefore it's good, is just off base biblically. You know, we can hate people who have wronged us. We can be greedy. There's lots going on. It's just not. A, listen to Proverbs 14, verse 12. 
in this regard, the idea of what our thinking produces, what's <laughs> the way we should go. There is a way that seems right to a man and a woman, but its way, but its end is the way to say it with me, will you? Death. We can think it's right, but it's not. I hope that verse will penetrate to your heart right now if you're struggling with some of the things I'm saying. Here are a couple of other pretty profound verses. Isaiah 55, 7 and 9. 7 to 9. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Hey, isn't that awesome news? Thank God. <laughs> and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Thank God. For, this is a quote of the Lord, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. I want to tell you, my friends, the reality is that from a biblical perspective, from a perspective of, 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 of God as revealed in Scripture, our reason is not the means whereby we come to conclusions in these things, because our reason has been impacted by sin in the fall. Theologians would say that our reasoning has been distorted or corrupted. And as a result, are definitely not the guide we can use to bring us to a place of deciding what's right and wrong for our lives. And definitely they're not what God's thoughts are unless God has impacted them. They're not. Matter of fact, Romans 12, 2, probably a lot of you know it, that our mind, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Old thought out, new thought in. My thought out, God's thought in. Our minds have to be made new to think the thoughts after God, which he reveals to us, of course, in Scripture, so that we think like him. Reason's not on. It doesn't work. It's not good enough. How about this one? So it's not legal reality enough. It's not a reasoning process. How about, this is huge in our culture, feelings. When I grew up, it wasn't about feelings. That wasn't the priority. It wasn't the issue. It was what's true. It shows you how old I am, right? It wasn't about what it was feeling. It really wasn't given prominence and significance. What was true was really important. Now everything is about what you feel. And if you feel it, it's okay. Um, it's right. Now let me go to the transgender reality. Someone says as a man, I feel like I'm a woman. Someone feels as a woman that like they're a man. Um, and, you know, they walk into a doctor's office and without, I gather, a lot of thought anymore, there's a transitioning process that begins whereby their bodies are changed. And if it's a parent who actually buys this belief, they take their child who's seven, eight, or nine, and pre-puberty, they're started, you know, the child says, I don't, I don't feel like a boy, daddy, I feel like a girl or mummy, and they're, starting, they're given hormones to transition them into something other than God created them to be. What about, and this is, this is dated, I know, but I'm going to come to it because I'm, I'm just hitting the nail on the head here, right? I'm just not, I'm not beating around the bush. Can you tell? What about sex before marriage? What about people living together prior to marriage? You know, completely embraced in our culture. And, you know, very often it's done because people feel strongly for one another. They want it. They desire it. It's kind of like, okay, God's made us this way. Isn't it right? <laughs> If I love somebody, and usually that at the front end of any relationship is very feeling-laden, if I love someone, shouldn't I go forth in this? No, there, there's this sentiment in society, if it feels right, it can't be wrong. You, you, you hear that? You, you recognize that sentiment? Um, 
people go with what they feel. I was actually listening to Christian uh, radio station this week, and I heard these words sung. And a song that I've heard many times but never really clued into, it says this. And speaking of worship, it's a song about worship and how much this singer loves worship and how good and right it is and, and what they want to experience of God. This feeling can't be wrong. I got to get my worship on. Take me away. It's a beautiful day. This feeling can't be wrong. I got to get my worship on. I got to enter into worship, I think is the idea. Um, take me away. It's a beautiful day. Is that true? Feelings can't be wrong. What do you think? Can feelings be wrong? You know, I want to suggest to you, my friends, just like reason, that our emotions are distorted and they're fallen and they're corrupted. Um, and they're not, they're not uh, reliable guides in these issues. Galatians 5, 16 to 20. Listen to this. So I say, this is Paul speaking, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that they are, uh, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are, and here we go, these things that we might want and desire, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, like this ought to blow you away about what I'm about to read, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like, okay, I'm your loving pastor telling you the truth, okay? It's my job. And this, this word that's in here, the, the, the acts of the flesh, the word in Greek is sarx, S-A-R-X. Without going into a ton of detail, basically it's this biblical teaching, usually in, in the NIV translated human nature, but it's this, this biblical concept that there is this force, there's this power within us that drives us towards sin. And that when the Spirit comes into our lives, He makes us new and our desires change. <laughs> well, slowly, progressively as God leads us into sanctification, transformation. But I want to tell you, my friends, when we follow after our natural desires, it takes us to places that God doesn't want us to go. And the implications of doing such are immense. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, same, same book, same text. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, a woman, reaps what he or she sows. Whoever sows to please their sarks from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. There's the choice, destruction or eternal life. It's like, wow. You know, another, another phrase that's common in our parlance is just, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. You ever do that? Just follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It can lie to you. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? My friends, do not just follow your heart. Not if you want to be a biblical Christian. Okay, let's move on. If it's not the law, and if it's not a reasoning process, and if it's not what we feel like and desire, what about conscience? Surely I can follow my conscience, and, and as long as when I do something I don't feel guilty, I'm okay. The question is, is conscience a reliable guide? Titus 1, 15 and 16. 
To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted uh, and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God. Oh, this is, this is. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Now, what that verse is saying is that people claim to know God, but in, in the fact that they act the way they act, it, it just proves, it's evidence that their hearts have not been transformed, their minds have not been made new, and they are deceived. They think they know God, but they don't. Man, I pray to the core of my being, nobody in this church is in that place. But it's possible. My friends, um, consciences can be corrupted when they are misinformed. We can believe things that are wrong when in fact that are right when in fact they are wrong. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, are we there? You tell me. But some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. And I got to go to verse 2 really quickly because I... Uh, let's have a race to see who can get there first, I guys. Timothy chapter 4. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. You know, you take a hot iron and you press it into your hand, that place where the hot iron burned will become deadened and insensitive. Another teaching in Scripture says that consciences can be too sensitive. Point is, they're not reliable to let us know the mind and the heart of God. The more informed they are, the more they'll line up with that. Last point in terms of how we do this, not, not, uh, not, not law, not reason, not desire and emotion, not conscience. How about the values of the world? Which are becoming dramatically different, I would suggest, from what Scripture brings to us. But, you know, the whole debate about sexuality in the Presbyterian Church right now, by the way, at our General Assembly last year, nothing changed last week. No dramatic steps taken, you know, moving forward, but nothing done yet. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the elders talked and prayed, and we formed an opinion, and I stood up and told you what that opinion was, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, as Genesis chapter 2 says, as Jesus affirmed in Matthew and in other places. And we love gay people. We love gay people, and we need to treat them well, but we need to stick with the Bible's definition of marriage. Um, and a younger adult came to me and, and, and asked this question, said, said this. I said, in all sincerity, Chris... Um, you know, there are other people who are sincere followers of Jesus who are on the other side of the issue, who don't agree with what the session has come to. He said, you're not saying to me that your idea is any better than another idea, are you? And I paused, I thought about it for a minute, and I said, well, actually, that's exactly what we are saying, yeah. We've gone to Scripture, and that's what we believe the Bible has to say. Now, I want you to think about the thought that was presented to me, this idea that one idea can't be better than another. Put it a different way, all ideas are equal. Equality is probably the most powerful value in our culture. There's a lot of good about equality. It has its place and it has its application. But do we really believe all ideas are equal? Um... You know, the apostles very often, Paul and Peter and otherwise, wrote often to the churches which they had established and pastored and moved on from and said, don't believe those false teachers who have come among you. 
They're teaching you things that are not consistent with Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the apostles. Do not believe their ideas. Essentially, they're saying not all ideas are equal. There are some, they're just plain wrong. So again, this idea that all ideas are equal, this value that has impacted the minds of some folks, at least one, is not something we can embrace. It's not something we can embrace. You see, in the end of the day, Judges 17, 6, I hope it's not characteristic of our church, but it certainly is becoming that of our society. It says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's essentially what happens when we, you know, look within to our reason and to our emotion and to our conscience. It's what we think is right that we think is right. And according to Scripture, that's not a good place to be. Because what Scripture says is morality is not determined by you or by me, but by God. And that we worship Him and we honor Him when we go with His thoughts and His heart and His ideas, not our own. So what do we do? What do we do about this? Well, the next couple of Sundays are going to address this, but I'm going to move toward um, resolution somehow in these things. You know, the first thing that we do is to not trust our own understanding of things. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, let me read it to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Stop. Go back. I've never, ever grappled with that verse as much as I have. It's never been as powerful in my life as it has in this context. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's the starting, sp- starting pot, uh, spot because of our fallen reason, because of our fallen emotion, because of our faulty consciences, etc. Okay, let's keep going. It says, then in all of your ways submit to who? Him, to God. And he will make your paths straight. Next two verses are great in in parallel form. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil, as God defines it. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. I want to tell you, my friends, there are so many promises that are given to us in Scripture when we're willing to embrace and follow in the way of God. That's what eternal life and abundant life is all about. Buy into his thoughts, his ideas, his beliefs. Practice them and your life will flourish. Over and over and over again, the Bible says this. We've got to get to a place. And here's the point. This is the point of the series. We desperately need to learn to live our lives under the authority of the word of God. We have got to come to a place, if indeed we believe that the Bible is inspired and true. That's next week's talk where we actually recognize that God has communicated his thoughts to us through scripture so that we go to them using our reason to understand what they have to say, but we live under the authority of the word of God. We don't judge it. We don't try to change it. We don't try to dismiss parts of it that we don't like or doesn't make sense to our reason. We must know and then submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God. Quite frankly, I'm, I'm here today to ask you whether you do that or not or at least attempt to. See, Psalm 36, verse 2. <clears throat> this is the danger, and I, I've been hinting around it, but it says, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. That's our danger. Oh, I get this figured out. <laughs> I flatter myself in pride, but we do it so much, we can't even see the sin that's potentially in our lives that we've embraced for whatever reason, culture, reason, feeling, desire. We can't go there, my friends. We can't live in that place. 
We as a church must come to that place where we recognize and hold on to the, the truth of the scripture and we submit ourselves to God's voice spoken within it and we obey what it says because through it God speaks to us. And quite frankly, I'm afraid that we're slipping in that way because of the power of the culture. And that's why it's, I feel it's so, so important to speak to this reality. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Powerful verse. Keep this book of the law, their scripture, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And here again is the promise. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Anybody want that for their lives? The blessing of God to just flood your experience, your marriage, your business, your workplace, your children. Anybody want to know the prosperity and the blessing of God? We've got to give up this idea that I'm God and that I, I do what I think is right and say, God, you tell me what you think is right. Let me meditate on the book of the law so that I can be careful to do everything that you have spoken to me through it. That's what we're called to as, as people who seek to be faithful Christians. And to do otherwise is contrary to what God wants. Um... Let me go to 2 Timothy 3.16. Only two more verses to quote today. I know there have been lots of them, but all Scripture, and that's, we're going to come back to this verse uh, with others next week, but all Scripture is God-breathed. It used to say in other translations, is inspired. God has spoken the book. It's God-breathed and is useful for four things, for teaching what we don't know, for rebuking, other translations, oh, uh, no, correcting is to come, but we need rebuked at times because our thinking is faulty for correcting us in our thinking and interaction and to train us in righteousness. That's what Scripture's for, according to, to Paul, as he wrote to his protege, Timothy. I, I get it. If you don't think the Bible is inspired and true, you're not going to give it the authority in your life that I'm suggesting we're supposed to. And that's why next week's sermon is what next week's sermon is. Is it really inspired? Is it really true? Can I base my life on what this book says? Is God's, is God's mind really in it so that as I obey the word that I am actually obeying him? Yeah, I mean, that's just a critical issue that everybody has to come to terms with in their own lives. Historically, the Christian church, all the way back to Jesus himself and all the way back to Moses who spoke those words to, uh, to, to Joshua and on and on and on. We have believed in the inspiration of Scripture. It is God-inspired. It is God-breathed. It is the truth of God for us to believe, to honor, and to obey. Last verse, 1 John 1, 9. I'm recognizing that in some of what I've been saying today, and there's been so much commented on, some folks might be sitting here and go, oh my goodness, <laughs> I've done what's wrong. I've blown it. I... We don't want a lot of guilt here. This is not what this is about. And that's why I finished with this verse, that if that's you, this verse promises that if we confess our sin, we recognize the wrongness of what we have done and we repent of it, which means not only turn our minds away, but our lives away from that sin, that God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Who among us doesn't need that? Myself included. My friends, I, I, I want us I'm calling us to be a faithful church because when we live faithfully before God, not only will our lives be blessed, our church will be blessed and the Spirit of God will move in power. And we will know this incredible existence as we follow Jesus. 
flee and follow the way of the world and embrace sin, not only in thinking but in practice, we're not going to know that kind of blessing. God wants his best for you. I want your best. I want your best for you. You know what? I want God's best for me. And that comes through faithfulness to the word of God. It comes when we place ourselves under the authority of the word of God and we obey God by obeying his word. Now, I don't know how everyone here is going to respond to this or is responding to this. I've preached sermons and people have walked out before. I'm kind of gratified to see no one's left, as far as I know. Um, I don't imagine everybody is going to quickly agree with everything that I've said. I just want you to really take these things to God. I really do. And I want to challenge you to do so, and I want you to think about these things. And you know what? I want you to dig into the book, and I want you to figure it out and come to a place of conviction about some things. Um, you know, we're in the year of the Bible, right? In this church, I'm challenging everybody to read the Bible every day, even if it's just a short portion, and to dig into Scripture. We're doing it on a Sunday morning. Holy cow, right? My mother wouldn't have liked that. Holy cow. There is no one holy but God, she'd said to me like 14 million times in her life. And that's actually true. But you know why we're preaching this series in the year of the Bible? I'm asking you to, to, to think seriously about your relationship with Scripture. I'm asking you to think seriously about what you believe about the Bible. And ultimately, I'm asking you to come to a place. I'm going to invite you to say, this is the inspired and true Word of God, and I'm going to live my life by it. Not by my own thoughts, not by the thoughts of the culture, not by what... A government passes into law, not by what my conscience suggests, not by the values of this world, which are abundant, and many of them contrary to Scripture. I'm asking you to come to a place where you will, you will live your lives according to what God has spoken to us through his word. And then I'm going to ask you, as if I haven't already, to really dig into the book, because if you don't know the book, you don't know how to live. You don't know what it says. And that's why biblical literacy, in, in one way, is a real, real problem. So there you have it. Anybody feel like banged around, beaten up? You know, I hope not. But I've been really honest with you today. Because, my friends, this issue is critical to where we're going, where the Church of Christ is going, and what we become before God. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you because they are here because they are seeking you. And they want to know you and they want to worship you and they want to serve you and they want to love you. Or, you know, maybe some of them are here because they're, they're, they're seeking after what it means to know and to believe in Christ and what all that entails. But Lord, they're here with you. And God, my hope and my prayer, and I know the prayer of so many other people is, 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 is I preach that you will come by your spirit and you will take the word that is read and spoken and you will allow it to penetrate to the heart, as Hebrews says to strike a deep, deep chord in their lives. And as that work is done by your spirit, lives are transformed, minds are made new, hearts and desires are transformed, we are changed. And as a result, God, lives are changed, and as lives are changed, God, then our society is made new. So God, I pray for everyone here. I pray that no one will leave this place, you know, feeling guilt and shame and burden, but... Lord, the recognition and the reality that forgiveness is theirs if they just ask for it. First John says, we are made pure in your eyes simply through the confession of our sin. 
God, I pray that people won't leave here necessarily angry or frustrated, but God, go with them and help them to process what has been spoken today and what has been read from your word. God, our heart's desire ultimately is that you will bring us to a place as a church where we will plant ourselves, all of us. Leadership has already, but we will plant ourselves firmly on the side of recognizing the scripture, the word of God as our authority in life and life and faith so that we will live our lives in obedience to you by living in obedience to what the scripture says. So God, for those who need to grapple, I pray that you'll grapple with them, that you'll help them through this, that you'll lead them forward to a place, Lord, that you are calling them to. Thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring this incredible book. And even today, Lord, for um, allowing it to speak into our lives in a pretty profound and challenging way. God, we, sung, we have sung this morning that uh, we're here to worship you, to honor you. Let us honor you, Lord, by honoring your word. Let us follow you by following its instruction and teaching. Let us be faithful to you, our God, by taking this book as your written word to us that we might be faithful in your eyes. God, this we pray in Jesus' name. you stand and worship with us. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation.